Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Always obedient to your grace's will, I come to know your pleasure. Angela! <laughs> there is a kind of character in thy life. But to the observer doth thy history fully unfold. Thyself and thy belongings are not thine own so proper as to waste thyself upon thy virtues, they on thee. <laughs> Heaven doth with us as we with torches do, not light them for themselves. For if our virtues did not go forth of us, twere all alike as if we had them not hold. Therefore, Angelo, in our remove be thou at full ourself. Mortality and mercy in Vienna live in thy tongue and heart. And Aeschylus here, though first in question, is thy secondary. Take thy commission. Now, good my lord, let there be some more test made of my metal before so noble and so great a figure be stamped upon. No more evasion. We have with a leavened and prepare a choice proceeded to you. Therefore, take your honours. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Play's The Thing, your podcast for all things William Shakespeare. You have joined us for Act One of one of Shakespeare's hidden gems, a play called Measure for Measure. That was a conversation between Angelo and the Duke in which the Duke is commissioning Angelo to take over governance of the city. The Duke has these wonderful lines, heaven doth with us as we with torches do, not light them for themselves. For if our virtues did not go forth of us, twere all alike as if we had them not. Mm. We're so glad that you joined us. I am joined by the most special guest. She has a master's degree in counseling. She is born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. I think for the sake of this conversation, most exciting to me is she is my wife, Galen Marie Hurd. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tim. This you've been exciting. you've you've listened plenty of times, but this is your first time really being on the show, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, 
maybe you could describe for our guests right now, like our what we're doing, like physically, where are you, where am I, and where is our eight-month-old baby? Yeah. So we live in a large room, studio loft. Yep. So there are three of us. So we all had to be in different locations. Our baby is downstairs with our neighbor, our awesome neighbor, Melanie, her adopted grandmother. Um, you are in the main the main living area of our home. Yep. And I am in um, Arden's room. It's uh-huh. really our walk-in closet where her crib uh-huh. lives. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. And it's where you especially spend a lot of time between 2 and 4 yes. a.m. Yes, 2 and 4 a.m., sometimes 2 and 4 p.m. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of, I'm sitting in a rocking recliner. I'm rocking, rocking myself right now. Yeah, that's right. You're rocking <laughs> yourself right now. Last <laughs> night, in fact, was kind of a long night for you, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So I'm um, glad to have my mind on other on things. On other things. For the moment. Um, Galen, I'm going to take the time to talk a little bit about the plot of this play, but I want to forward it by saying you have chosen very deliberately to only go act by act in our recording. And we've had other guests that have done this. And it lends an air of kind of vulnerability from the commentator because you don't know what's going to happen in the next act. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also lends kind of the opportunity for surprise. Like you think that the plot and the characters are going to go this direction. They might swerve. So we've got that to look forward to. So a lot of what you're going to be saying to some degree is going to be speculative. Yeah. I'm the naive reader at the moment. It's it's exciting. I I wish I stopped and and reflected partway through a lot of things that I've read more, you know, like, where's the story headed? What, yeah. how have they set it up so far? What do I think is going to happen? It's, it's interesting. That's where I want to concentrate with our conversations. But like I said, let me do a little bit of plot work. Before we get into the plot work, I want to say something personally. This is one of my favorite plays of Shakespeare's. Um, I think it's one of three hidden gems. Um, If you look at the most popular plays, Measure for Measure is not in the top third. It's probably not even the top half. And for the life of me, I don't understand it. Um, I think it belongs with two other plays as unfairly um, unrecognized. Coriolanus, which was written at the height of his kind of um, great tragedies along with Macbeth and Hamlet and Othello, Coriolanus belongs in that time period, and it's magisterial. The other is The Winter's Tale, which I discussed with our friend Emily Maeda. We finished discussing that probably two months ago. Another beautiful hidden gem. And Measure for Measure is the third hidden gem. Um, the play is important to me important to me for another reason but we can talk about that a little bit later on in the show the plot of the play is wonderful it's so expertly plotted and sometimes in fairness to our author shakespeare can be a little baggy sometimes with his plots i don't think that it's one of like his really great talents his great talents are 
his wordsmithing, he's maybe the best to have ever lived, and his like inner psychological capacity. I think this is the thing you and I resonate so much with when we're talking in the kitchen or before we go to bed. Um, this is the thing that really shines for us. Shakespeare sees human beings in a way that very few have. Mm-hmm. The plot is set in Vienna. Top of the show, which we heard a little bit of audio from, the Duke of Vienna announces that he's been called away from the city. This is a ruse. We don't know it yet, but it's a ruse. He's going to go undercover. And the Duke has decided that he's going to leave someone in charge to rule in his place, and he's going to give them full power, power even over life and death decisions. And the person that he's chosen is... Lord Angelo, and you maybe heard a little bit in that opening line that he, the Duke believe he's, believes he sees something in Angelo. The lines are, Angelo, there is a kind of character in thy life that to the observer doth thy history fully unfold. Thyself and thy belongings are not thine own, so proper as to waste thyself on thy virtues, they on thee. He's a man recognized for being virtuous. The Duke puts Angelo in charge and leaves the city. Really, he's undercover. And Lord Angelo, we find out very quickly that he, at the Duke's behest, is intent on maintaining laws in Vienna that are on the books, but are not, but that are not being enforced. The Duke fears, and Angelo fears, that the law, nobody respects the law because the law is not being enforced. And accordingly, Vienna has just, certain pockets of it have just slid into disrepute. It's, a, it's like dens of licentiousness all over the place. Angelo is determined to make somebody an example, and he lands on a man named Claudio. Claudio is arrested because his fiancée is pregnant. And so Angelo is, says, Okay, great. The Duke's gone. He wants me to enforce the laws. I'm going to enforce the laws on Angelo. Angelo impregnated his fiance. Tough. Angelo's going to die. And so he receives a, he's going to receive capital punishment. That's the beginning of our play. We have two other important characters to introduce, but I first want to come to you, Galen, with just an open question. Tell me about your initial impressions of Measure for Measure. Where do you think we're going? What do you see thus far? Yeah. So the way it's set up so far, this is this play is about the law. So the laws have not been followed. This is a problem. Um, society will break down if if the laws are too lax. Interestingly, the Duke actually says, we have very strict laws on the books. They have just not been enforced. So that, that is an interesting thing to me. That like, this question of, obviously it's not, well, he's saying, it's not good to have strict laws that are not enforced. Yeah. But then the question to me becomes, should the laws become a little less strict to line up with human beings and how they live right, right, and laws that you might actually be able to enforce more easily. Um, and the way he's going with it is, nope, we're going to go, 
we're going to find someone who can strictly enforce these laws, bring everything back into order. Things have fallen into disrepair and we need to, the entropy has taken over. We're going to, we're going to fight it. So he's got these two choices. It doesn't seem like he really even considers the second choice, which is maybe we should like cut back on the number of laws and kind of like be a little bit more, I don't know, human or humane in the laws that are on the books. It's taken for granted that what's happening right now is, is problematic. Yeah. Licentiousness is, is a problem Uh for society. uh So, and his first option is the only option he really considers. Let's enforce the laws. Yeah. All the way. Okay. And he makes this other curious decision, which is, and I'm not going to be the guy who enforces the laws. It's going to be my henchman, Angelo. Which, yeah. I don't like. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Duke for this choice. Why not? Uh, It just doesn't seem responsible. Um, But interestingly, he, he sort of defends it when he's talking to, um, to the friar. Um, I just want to say, yeah, it's really strange that he departs. I mean, the analogy is sort of like this. Melanie, our downstairs neighbor, who's now watching our daughter. Hey, Melanie, we've kind of been lax with discipline for our daughter. And we know she's just, you know, she's getting spoiled. She's becoming rotten. And we know that we have standards that we want to uphold. We'd like for you to uphold those standards, but not us. Yep. That's kind of what's going on. Yeah. Here's what he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Angelo, excuse me, the Duke goes to a friar and explains his position on the matter. And that's what you're going to read to us right now. He says, if twas my fault to give the people scope, twould be my tyranny to strike and gall them. For what I bid them do, or we bid this be done, when evil deeds have their permissive pass and not the punishment. Therefore, indeed, my father, I have on Angelo imposed the office, who may in the ambush of my name strike home. And yet my nature never in the fight to do this, to do in slander. Does that make anything better for you? I'm the one who didn't enforce them. If I did enforce them, I'd be a tyrant. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Exactly. I brought in Angelo. Yeah. 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 Again, to go back to the parent metaphor, like my kids will hate me because I've been so chill. And it would really just like throw them for a loop. They wouldn't know what to, what's going on. So if someone else does it, it'll make more sense. So neighbor, if you don't mind... Yeah, if you could just kind of get her out of being a brat, man, we would appreciate <laughs> it. The laws are on the books. All you got to do is enforce them. Yeah, That's all you, you got to do. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Interesting choice. And then he's going to go into disguise and watch watch it all happen. Yes. See what's up. That's right. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got everything set up. Angelo arrests a man that... Everyone kind of recognizes in the scene that where we meet uh, Claudio. Claudio's a good guy. And nobody thinks that this guy who is engaged to his fiancée, who's now pregnant, um, should be suffering capital punishment 
because of this. So we immediately like learn Angelo's enforcements of the law have very quickly tipped over into, I don't know, like an over-righteous um, pause-making. And it doesn't really seem to be about like encouraging virtue. It more seems to be about, um, yeah, like we've said, enforcing the law, not just the spirit, but the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. He's our Javert. So, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> right? He's he's the rigid rule enforcer who, I mean, Javert in Les Mis believed in the yeah. law, believed in the order. Like truly yeah. in his heart, he, until the end where he he sees differently and is sort of heartbroken by it. Um, uh-huh. And I wonder if Angelo is the same kind of um, like earnest yeah. lover of rules. Um, Do you take, you take Angelo's kind of righteousness for the law to be genuine and honest? So far. So far, right. I don't feel right, like right. we've We're, seen right. enough to really make that assertion. But. but you believe that he thus far believes what he's enforcing. This is a good faith effort to fulfill the Duke's commission. And he probably believes it himself. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the Duke seems to think so. The Duke seems to put yeah. his faith in, in Angelo in that way. And the Duke had an advisor that he brought in. And the advisor's like, yeah, man, Angelo's the real deal. He's, yeah. he's like a man of virtue. So all indications are, yeah, Angelo buys this. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. He might be rigid in his, in his thinking, but he's he's earnest in his sort of uh-huh. faith in the law. And then, so then Isabella comes in as this counterpart to Angelo, though, right away. Yeah, right away. Okay, so we've, you've introduced our fourth major character, and she's going to be really, I'm just going to leak it a little bit. Hmm. She's going to be one of two primary characters for me in the play. Uh-huh. Okay. She's introduced, I do want to introduce another character, Lucio, who's going to play a pretty prominent role. Lucio comes to Isabella. Where does Lucio meet Isabella, Galen? At the nunnery. At the nunnery, that's right, at the convent. And Isabella, where is she kind of on the journey to taking orders? Do you remember? She's a novice. I think she's one day from taking her uh her vows and so the the nun actually says it's a man outside you have to answer the door i can't do it because once she takes her vows she's not allowed to speak to men for the rest of her life right for me this is part of the plotting that i love so much about this play like everything is set up in these like harsh juxtaposed Mm. clashes of almost absolute value, you Mm. know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Isabella is going to be, is being asked by Lucio to defend her brother for his, you know, licentious behavior. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, she will have to exercise her rhetorical powers to a man, Mm. not just any man, but right now, the supreme authority in Vienna. Mm-hmm. 
She's about it, to retreat from the world and she yes, has to go yes. speak to the highest power in the land, happens to be a man, and use her use speech to sway his mind. Yeah. It's such a great setup. It it's is, such it's, a great setup. It's great tension making. Yeah. I want to listen to the exchange, Galen, between Lucio and Isabella when um, Lucio goes to the convent and he says, listen, your brother and his fiance, you know, she's pregnant. And I want us to listen for how Isabella regards the problem, like with what level of seriousness she regards the problem, because she is about to take holy orders in the Catholic church. Like there can be no more serious step in one's spiritual moral life. But I just want to listen to what, how Isabella regards this problem. Let's listen to this audio. Your brother and his lover have embraced. As those that feed grow full, as blossoming time that from the seedness the bare fallow brings to teeming foison, even so her plenteous womb expresseth his full tilth and husbandry. Someone with child by him? Mm -hmm. My cousin Juliet? Is she your cousin? Adoptedly. As schoolmates change their names, by vain though apt affection. She it is. Oh, let him marry her. That was Lucio trying to convince Isabella the day before she takes her holy orders to go argue with Angelo on behalf of her brother to hopefully save um, his life. So, Galen, the line that sticks out to me from Isabella is when she kind of understands what her brother has done. Do you remember the line that she says, how she responds? Yeah, she's just so almost nonchalant, like, oh, let him marry her. Right. That's the solution. What's the problem? (laughs) Right, let him marry her. Yeah. Uh, He's going to anyway. Right. And then they can be a family and everything can be as it should be. Again, the, the juxtaposition is... If anyone is serious about the kind of um, life of virtue, it seems like it's Isabella and the fact that she is so quick to point out an easy solution um, is evidence to us that, yeah, Angelo is stepped too far. He's stepped too far. In fact, Lucio in the following lines has a great description of him. I'm going to, I'm going to read those lines upon his place and with the full line of his authority governs Lord Angelo, a man whose blood is very snow broth, one who never feels the wanton stings and motions of the sense, but doth rebate and blunt his natural edge with profits of the mind, study, and fast. That's an interesting description, right? Interesting. Yeah. Blunt the natural edge of his... What is uh, it? Blunt his natural edge with profits of the mind, blunt, study and fast. Blunt his natural edge. You would think that asceticism would actually create a sort of sharpness mm. to you. Mm. And that the intellect is often associated with sharpness. Mm. If you invest in your intellect over the, your sensory experience, that's often called like, being sharper, being, I mean, cold. He does bring up the idea of being yeah. cold. Yeah. To blunt his natural edge. Yeah. It's such an interesting way to put it to me. It, it's, 
it's Shakespeare's way of saying when you don't pay attention to your your humanness, your like yeah. full humanity, which includes your senses, yeah. your body, your you know physical experience of the world, you lose a part of yourself, and and it things go off the rail a little bit. Yeah. And Lucio, who is, I don't know, so far just kind of a regular guy, uh-huh. is just calling it. He's just saying, like, this guy is, is twisted, is contorted himself a little bit with, yeah. his, with his, you know, his ascetic uh, practices. Yeah. I just think I'll speak personally a little bit for both of us. I mean, we were both raised with, in families that really esteemed the mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And both of us a little bit later in life um, kind of discovered what happens from like neglect of attention to like the body. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that we were like little Angelos, but I think there was some sense in which like we both had maybe aesthetic, aesthetic drives. Mm-hmm. And each of us, long before we met each other, um, kind of got in touch with somatic therapy, which somatic. Mm-hmm pertaining to the body. And it's a way of thinking. For me, it was a way of thinking about a human being that was more than just mind, more than just rationality. And you have a kind of similar story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I kind of experienced it personally through dance um, and then went on to study dance therapy and somatic psychotherapy which is absolutely just bringing the attention to um, sort of the, just the full range of, of information that your body is giving you. It's not just in your mind that yeah. you are, are living. Um, yeah. It's very powerful to me. And I think you're right. I think we both were not so far out of balance, but just like a little bit out of balance. And it's, and we both were really drawn to things that sort of, uh, brought us more into that holistic way of, of being more integrated. I wonder if this play is, um, I know the play, so I can't give things away, <laughs> but I think we both see something coming. We see a train <laughs> far down the tracks mm. and the train is what happens if Angelo kind of confronts this other side of himself. Yeah. Yeah. That has you been know, ignored for so long. That's been ignored for so long. Yeah. Um, what will happen then? And I think in a lot of ways, his antithesis is being set up as Isabella. So let's kind of tease this out a little bit. Um, both Angelo and Isabella are take the take the moral life, the life of mm-hmm. virtue and the life of the mind with great seriousness. Very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe one of the big questions of the play is, all right then, how do these two different characters understand the role of the law? As you pointed out, it seems like this is going to be one of our primary themes. Mm. What, how will these two characters understand the enforcement of the law and the good of the law, right? Yeah. And right now, it seems like they're in pretty different places. Angelo is like, I'm going to be punctilious about it, like yeah. down to the period. And Isabella, while taking it seriously, seems to have a different viewpoint. 
let him, oh, let them marry. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you imagine that the law is meant to serve a purpose of keeping families together. Yeah. Um, and that would be like the highest aim, one of the highest aims of the law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then in this particular case, not following the law would create a strong family structure for this, for these three anyway, for um, Claudio and Juliet and the baby. And, and killing Claudio will just ruin the whole family. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a case where, where following the law seems to be in direct contradiction with what you can imagine the law was meant to, mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that distortion uh, when, when things are approached so rigidly. And it is, I know you keep going back to this line, like, oh, let her marry, let him marry yeah. her. Yeah. But it's, there's something about the relaxed way that she says it that to me um, brings in this idea of flexibility versus rigidness. Yeah. And yeah. I just wonder if that's also going to be a theme here. Or maybe like integration because I mean, like her approach integrates the various aspects of who she is. And why am I saying that? Lucio clearly respects her mind a great deal. He's going to her, Hey, you mm. have the kind of mental and rhetorical capacity to make the case to Angelo that your brother ought not die. And so her mind is sharp, like Angelo's is sharp, but I wonder if the difference is that she has integrated that very acute mind and her rhetorical powers with the rest of her person, whereas maybe, I don't know, Angelo's kind of like affection for a certain vision of virtue is kind of herniated in a mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. and it's not been integrated with the rest of his person. Yeah. Um. Galen, I mentioned at the top of the show that I'm really partial to this play, and I don't know that I've told you this, but the first monologue, the first scene, I should say, that I've ever performed was from this play. I believe it's in Act 3. It is... um, I won't ruin it for you except to say when Claudio hears that he is going to die the bulk of the scene is about his response to that Mm -hmm. because he wants to be a brave man, but then he kind of looks at it squarely and what he says in response is just, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay. That's part one. The first time I ever performed a scene from Shakespeare, I had acted in other plays, but when I performed that scene, I remember just thinking, I don't really want to do anything else. I just want to, I want to, these words are so beautiful it's observations about like fear, fear of death were so poignant and powerful. I just thought, I don't really want to do modern plays. And I love modern plays. There's some absolutely wonderful things that have been written, wonderful things that have been written the last 150 years. But this is when I really fell in love with Shakespeare, not just for acting Shakespeare, but also I just... I thought, I've always respected Shakespeare, but maybe I need to fall in love with him. And obviously mm-hmm. I did. Um, I love that. You were moved. I, have, I was really moved. 
I was really moved. And the dexterity of the prose and the observations about like fear of death in this scene that I'm talking about are the things that really moved me. Hmm. I have a second story. I saw this play performed in Ashland, Oregon, as part of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, one of the best Shakespeare festivals in North America, if not the world. And I was looking forward to the scene that I'm talking to when Claudio has this beautiful monologue about like kind of like looking at death squarely in the eye. I was looking forward to it the entire play and the, and the monologue was going to happen right before intermission. And I have everything in me was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, so we get to the scene. I've been waiting for it. Claudio begins his monologue and right in the middle of his monologue, and this never happens, a woman stood up like on the fifth or sixth row. She stands up and she's like, she starts walking out and it totally disturbs everybody around her. And I was getting so frustrated. (gasps) I was like, I've been waiting the whole play for this. And you choose now to like, you can't hold you like now you're going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So it was so bad that the actor did something that honestly, every actor kind of dreams of doing, which is you're going to stand up in the middle of my monologue. He said that I, he doesn't say anything, but he stops and looks at the woman and continues his monologue. (laughs) Like right at the woman, the woman is older. She's maybe late sixties, early seventies. Scene ends, um, curtain drops, lights go down, lights come back up. So there's a twist to the story. Lights come back up and over the intercom, a man comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please exit to your left, we are having a medical emergency right now. And if you could exit to your left, because we need to bring in medics. The woman's husband had had a stroke. I I was so, I was like, man, this serves me right. I was (laughs) mad at this woman and she was in like the catastrophe of her life. And I was being all judgy and the actor also, and I totally understand the actor was being all judgy also. And then we kind of like, you're like, you know what? <laughs> be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting yeah. a secret battle. You know, this was one yeah. of those moments. Everyone you meet is fighting a secret battle. And Just assume. Yeah. Yes. Assume the best because you never know. Her mm. husband might have been having a stroke. He was, in Aww. fact, having a stroke. Oh, I hope he was okay. I hope he was okay too. Mm. Um, one of the questions that I want to set up for the conclusion of this discussion in Act One is what genre is this play? So again, Galen, you've only heard act one. Where are we headed here? What kind of genre are we dealing with here? Uh, Are we dealing with a comedy? Are we dealing with a tragedy? It's not a history play. We know that. It's largely a work of imagination, not completely, but largely a work of imagination. Um, Where are we going here? Okay, so I don't want to believe, if for it to be a tragedy, in my mind, that would have to mean that Claudio would have to die. And I don't want to think that's going to happen. I have to think this tension that's being set up in the beginning wouldn't really go very far if at the end of the play, like, what 
Angelo said was going to happen in the beginning actually ends up happening. But yeah. It's possible. Um, another alternative, I'm sorry to interrupt, another alternative for a tragedy would be Angelo dies. Mm-hmm. Or learns his lesson in some profound mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. but some in a way that deeply tragic. Yeah, yeah, he suffers greatly mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah, I'm having a hard time imagining what that would be. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like he runs off to Bohemia and just like enjoys his license <laughs> or something like that. That becomes could be like yeah, yeah, becomes a hippie. Um, such a tragedy. But <laughs> but I don't. It doesn't feel like a comedy. I mean, we do have uh, the Duke taking on a disguise. The disguise seems like a, a comedy trope yeah, for Shakespeare. It does, right? Yep. Funny things can happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'd have to lean tragedy if I had to choose one okay. right now. Great. It just seems serious. It just yeah. seems a little more um, dire than you know other setups. And there's not a lot of like laugh lines. I mean, there's a there's a couple, but this it does not seem no like there's a bunch of gags running. Yeah, like Beatrice and Benedict Mm -hmm. are you know like at each other's throats and they're one upping each other, and it's really funny. That's not happening. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's not playful tension anywhere. Like right, right. um, I will say is the most sort of playful character, but yes, he is. That's right. That's right. The big like signal about whether or not something is a comedy is what happens at the very last scene. Is it a marriage or the promise of a marriage? Mm. So that will be kind of like our key indicator. Oh, well. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to ask you what sort of things are you going to look for in act two? So that's the question that's coming to you. But I first wanted to say, I think during our discussion, either in act four or act five, I'd like to bring in a special guest. I've mentioned this, this person to you. I was on a trip a few years ago and I got set up by a mutual friend who had a friend in Santa Fe. I was traveling in Santa Fe and they said, Hey, you should go stay with my friend in Santa Fe. During that stay in Santa Fe, stayed with a family, and the woman told me about the work that she had done uh, for her master's degree, and her work was in Shakespeare, specifically Measure for Measure. And she wrote her entire thesis on the conclusion of this play. And... Her thesis advisor would not accept it. Oh, yeah. And I said, right? And I said, so tell me what your interpretation of the end was, because I've got kind of like a little bit of a unique take on the end of this play. And her take was mine. (laughs) Like we saw it the exact same way. And it was so encouraging to me, but I think it was also additionally encouraging to her that, oh my gosh, I like, my thesis advisor wouldn't even let me put this forward. I couldn't even defend it. And I think she's exactly right. So I've asked her if she'd be willing to be on the show for a little bit to just kind of explain her thesis. So I would love to bring her on act four, cool. act five, a little yeah. guest no, spot I'm, and we can hear I'm her. I'm excited about that. That'll okay. be great. Okay. Galen, what are you looking forward to in act two? Um, I'm excited to see 
if we have this conversation between Isabella and Angelo, mm-hmm. what that's like, how mm-hmm. that goes, and imagining the two of them in a room together. Yep. It feels uh, potent. potent. Yeah. Yep. Um, and also, I would like to see if we hear anything from Juliet. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Her, you know, her man is about to die. Yep. Um, totally throwing everybody, you know, for a loop. No one's expecting this. And what a, gosh, what a situation to be in. I know. Wonderful. What a situation to be in. Yeah. Okay. Those are great things to be looking forward to. I'm going to uh, abstain because I just don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to okay. ruin your act two enjoyment. But I do want to thank everybody for tuning in for the show. Hey, a little plug. Some of you know that I um, not just don't just podcast about Shakespeare, but I also teach Shakespeare. And um, if you ever have any interest in forming scenes, performing a full play at your school with your family, I've got a little resource for you. It's at timteachesshakespeare.com. I've curated for me what I think are like the best, most easily performed, most exciting scenes from Shakespeare's corpus. And they are all available to you for free at timteachesshakespeare.com. And I've also got a little blurb in there about if you'd like to bring me into your school for a little bit of teaching. I have a unique method for teaching Shakespeare, which is start with performance. Don't start with interpretation of a text. I just think it gets young people so much more quickly engaged and it helps them fall in love with Shakespeare instead of like I did, just respect Shakespeare. So timteachesshakespeare.com. Galen Marie, thanks so much for being on the show. And I can't wait to see you when you're not in uh, the walk-in baby closet. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 